What's going on, guys? How you been? It's good to have you back here. Um, I hope that my voice is not too hoarse. I'm doing, you know, two shows now. Um, again, the other one is Lamp of the Body, if you guys are interested in this, but directed towards scripture, Bible study sort of thing. Um, today, however, this is going to be part of a series. This is going to be part of, so I read the book recently uh, by Deepak Chopra, the Seven Laws of Spiritual Success. This book has been on my radar for the longest time. And I, I've wanted to read it. I've wanted to get it. And for whatever reason, I just keep not getting it. And finally, it was just given to me. Somebody gave it to me. It's like, okay, fine, I'll read it. Um, and I'm so glad I did. So this is a quasi book review. It's not really a book review. Um, I do recommend that you read the book, though. This is going to be my commentary on it, more or less. There's going to be, and, and it's limited, but. Um, just kind of my elaboration somewhat. So the first chapter is the law of pure potentiality. And I'm going to read some quotes. I'm going to talk about it a little bit, and we're going to have a great time. And I hope that this is something that is very practical to your personal life, to your spiritual growth, um, to your mental health, to your um, striving towards success, which I wish you the best in, of course. So the first one is law of pure potentiality. That's what we're going to be talking about today. So we're going to start with a quote, two quotes. The first spiritual law of success is the law of pure potentiality. This law is based on the fact that we are, in our essential state, pure consciousness. And then a separate quote, our essential nature is one of pure potentiality, infinite, infinite potential. Okay, so deep down at the core of our being, we experience freedom from the constraints of the material, of the physical, when we tune into this deep acknowledgement of self. In our true nature, we experience a freedom from the fears, from the desires that come from associating our sense of self with external influences. Um, when we do things for the approval of others, this has been such a huge lesson for me over the last couple months, especially last year. I spent so much time, you know, focused on achieving things, focused on doing things. Don't get me wrong. It's good to know how to get stuff and it's good to have goals, especially like as a man, like you need to accomplish certain things in your life. And this is important to, to accept and to deal with, but it should not be the source of our self-worth, okay? Um, in any context, like nobody should associate how good of a person they are or their sense of like security, their sense of, of, of peace, their sense of, um, you know, intimacy with other people, their sense of satisfaction with life. It shouldn't be based off of material stuff. It should be based off of your relationship with yourself. So I'm going to quote again here, your true self which is your spirit, your soul, is completely free of those things, the external stuff. It is immune to criticism, it is unfearful of any challenge, and it feels beneath no one, and yet it is humble and feels superior to no one because it realizes that everyone else is the same self, the same spirit in different disguises. I think that when you learn to see yourself and others, when you learn to get past all the external stuff, all the ego, you sort of learn to get past the desires, the fears, the, you know, the superficial things, the identity, that kind of stuff. When you start to get past that, you start to realize that at the core of your being, you're none of those things. You can utilize all of those things. You can use them to express yourself in the world, but it's not you, right? Like you can shift your identity over, over time. As you grow, you realize that you can change your identity. This is one thing. I take issue with um, the New Age spiritual community. 
um, they talk a lot about like, hey, let's shift our identity to something more positive. And it's like, yeah, that's not like inherently an evil thing. Like, obviously, you're you're getting better. You're you're trying to anyway. But the point is that like you're still creating a facade for yourself. You're still creating identity, right? And it's much better to learn that like that stuff is not really you. Like you're the one experiencing that. You're the one that is aware of that, you know, of that stuff, of that um, personality, of the beliefs, the values, stuff like that. And often the things that we want, they they aren't really things that we truly want. They're things that other people want. Talk about mimetic desire a lot here. Um, and we desire what others desire because, uh, or and, and because we desire what others desire, the, the pursuit of those things is ultimately very unsatisfying. We may feel some temporary pleasure um, as we begin moving towards those things. They give us a distraction for one thing. Like they give us some sense of satisfaction that we've, we've, we've achieved something, we've moved forward a little bit. But at the end of the day, they aren't things that are really going to feed our soul. When we base our purpose and, and our path off of other people and off of what other people want, those superficial goals rob us of the energy that we have. They, they drain us. And when we learn to tune out the world and to go deep within ourselves and to listen to the voice of our spirit, the seeking for external validation begins to fall away. And we're left with a path that is unique to us and is fulfilling in a very profound way. Deep down, we are creative beings. And we're meant to learn to unleash this creativity. It's part of the process, it's part of the growth. When we get in tune with our spiritual nature, we, we begin to live in a state of pure potentiality, like he says. In this state, we cease to see challenges as things to be feared, but rather as opportunities that allow us to express our unique creativity. <coughs> Excuse me. When we, when we approach life from a place of knowing our true nature, we can remain unaffected by the external challenges. And you've heard me talk a lot about like the Stoic philosophers. Um, and they, they, they talk about this sort of thing all the time. You can't be angered. You can't be offended unless you allow yourself to be. You have to participate in the act of anger in order for the emotion to occur. And I'm sure that we can all think of examples when, uh, or of when somebody um, said something or something happened and it, it should have offended us. It should have angered us, but it just didn't for whatever reason. Maybe we were in a good mood, we saw past the offense to the motivation for, of that person, and we had sympathy for them. Um, the offense seemed immature, and it, it didn't seem like it was worth bothering with. Um, or maybe we didn't understand it. We didn't understand that it was supposed to be offensive in the first place and just went over our heads. Whatever the case, we, we can let go of that external stuff um, for a while, and it doesn't, it doesn't have to phase us. We can, we can train ourselves to look at things differently. We can train ourselves when somebody says something that would normally make us mad. You know, I think I talked about this last year. <clears throat> I talked about how we, um, you know, if you if you adopt a philosophy like the Stoic philosophy and you say, okay, I'm not going to get angered by other people anymore. It's like, well, that's a great goal, but you are going to get mad. But what you can do is you can start, um, you can take like some some quotes and you can, you can take a couple of ideas and say, okay, from now on, I'm going to think about this a lot. I'm going to meditate on this. When somebody says something that does upset me, my response is going to be, um, for just for example, like I'm going to tell myself every time somebody makes me mad, I'm going to tell myself that this like there, there's an underlying motivation that is good. Like this person is not evil. This person is acting from their own sense of perception, right? If it was a three-year-old that was saying this to me, I wouldn't be offended by it, right? Because it's a kid, right? Well. I, in a way, you can look at people as being basically just toddlers. Like a lot of people are not that smart. Let's be real. 
And everybody is acting from a place of hurt. Everybody is acting from a place of fear, from a place of confusion. Like we, we don't understand ourselves, right? Like we, I may, I may say something to you that is offensive to you, that upsets you. And at the core of it, like, you don't know why I said that, right? Like maybe I'm trying to get something over on you, but maybe that's coming from a place of fear. Like I'm afraid that if I don't assert myself that something bad's going to happen to me, right? And if you look at me and say, you know what, like you can see that fear and you realize that like it's it's coming from that, then maybe you have sympathy for me and you, you adjust your approach. It doesn't mean that you have to accept that type of behavior from me, but it means that you don't have to allow yourself to be thrown into this sense of turmoil. You don't have to react in a way that you feel um, personally offended. You look at it and say like, that was immature and I'm not going to allow it. We're going to correct it. We're going to do something about it, but I don't take offense to it, right? It's easier said than done. It's something that takes practice. You have to, you can take this philosophy and you can say, okay, every, I'm going to, I'm going to get some good quotes, right? Or maybe it's from, from um, this book because I do recommend it, but I'm going to take some stuff. I'm going to, I'm going to start applying it. I'm going to start to find like every time something bad happens, I'm going to find the positive in it. I'm going to find a silver lining to it. I'm going to say, okay, yes, I lost my job, but now I get to start something new. Or this is a great exercise in faith. This is a chance for me to practice, you know, trusting with the process and just going with it and just not having to have things figured out. This is a chance for me to practice being calm under pressure. This is a chance for me to practice being resourceful. This is a chance for me to start over, to be creative, to do whatever. That's tapping into the law of potentiality. That's tapping into this idea that we are infinite potential. When we judge things, when we associate our identity with external things, when we associate our happiness with stuff that other people want, with desires that are not coming from within, but are coming from the, you know, the, the desire to, to fit in, for example. Like, I want this job because people respect it, and I want to be respected, so I want to go do this. <clears throat> I don't actually want the job, I just want the respect, right? If you can be honest with yourself and realize that, then you can start to realize, well, if that's what's driving me, maybe there's a better way to get there, right? Or maybe it's something that I need to let go of altogether and figure out what do I just want to do? What is meaningful to me? What are what are my unique talents, right? Because you'll get respect if you're good at something. You don't, it doesn't have to be a certain thing. You might have a job that is very low paying, but you can do all sorts of things to be a respectable person, to be really good at that job, to be a really like, you know, trustworthy individual, to be somebody that everybody goes to, that everybody uh, admires. Um, for all sorts of reasons, you can have a great attitude, you can have a great, um, you know, morals and ethics, like, you can get the respect another way, figure out what it is that you want to do. So don't chase that job because like, don't go be a doctor because well, it's prestigious. It's like, there's lots of prestigious jobs and you can be a prestigious person within a normal job. So <clears throat> it's difficult though, right? So you take these things and they're hard to do. That's the point. It's like, you have to practice it. So you take one or two things and you and it happens and you still feel overwhelmed. You still get mad by the offense. You still get freaked out by this thing that's happening to you. But what you do is you say, okay, remember, we're finding the silver lining. Remember, we're not getting angry. We're going to look for the positive intention in that person. We're going to look for, try to find evidence of their unconscious fears, their their immaturity, their desires. And it's not to like to hate on them and say, well, you're only doing this because you're a piece of trash. It's to, to, it's to gain sympathy for them. Right, is to is to instill a sense of mercy within you. Doesn't mean that you again don't put up boundaries. Doesn't mean that you don't protect yourself. Doesn't mean that you don't respect yourself. But it means that you you approach it in a way where you don't personally get thrown into this negative 
um, emotional state. <clears throat> you get some water. Dying over here. All right. Let's keep going. So this state applies to our goals. It, is, it applies to, um, to our life's purpose, right? When we let go of trying to please other people or of doing things because we've seen other people do them, we can act from a place of, of, of security and of self-assurance. When our self-esteem is based solely on self, capital S, self, soul, spirit, whatever, and not self in relationship to others, we're set free from the constraints of judgment. Um, what's more, oftentimes the judgment that we receive isn't even actually from other people. We feel as though other people are judging us, and this belief is enough to stop us from pursuing our dreams or from speaking up and defending ourselves, um, or even from listening to the call in our heart in the first place. We very rarely act um, in the world. We very rarely react to the world as it actually exists in objective reality. That was a hard sentence for me to say. Um, but instead, we, we react to, the, to our perceptions of the world. So again, like if somebody says something to me about how, how I don't even know, like if they, they say something to me about, hey, you did this wrong, and I react to that, I'm not reacting to what objectively happened. Objectively, what happened is somebody says something to me, right? I may take it as they're giving me constructive criticism because they care, right? They could have been trying to offend me. They should have been trying to put me down to make themselves feel better. And I could feel slighted about that, but I could also take it as um, that's actually an opportunity for me to improve or it could be reversed, right? They could have meant it in a positive way, like, hey, you're, you're not doing that right. Be careful. And I took it personal, right? I took it as, an, as, a, um, as a blow to my self-esteem. And by the way, if something, if, if, my identity is wrapped up in external things, that is what's going to hurt my self-esteem. So if, I'm, if I fail at something, if, some, if I don't do my job right, if I mess up at work um, or in my relationships, I, do some, I say something stupid, right? And my coworker, my you know, girlfriend, whoever comes and says, that was wrong. <laughs> well, I was about to say something else, but like, let's just say that was wrong, right? Let's keep it simple. And I react defensively, right? <clears throat> They could have had the best intention of the world. I'm not reacting to what happened. I'm reacting to my perception. And it's all in my head, right? I may have the idea to go do something and then imagine that people will, will say something negative to me or imagine that people will judge me and not do it because I feel judged. It's like, what actually happened? Nothing happened. I'm crazy. I'm living in my head. <laughs> We're all crazy. We're all living in our heads. We're all torturing ourselves with our own imagination, right? And the body doesn't know that that's our imagination so it reacts as if it is so we create these um lives of stress for ourselves because we're constantly pl playing through these negative situations in our brain and the reality is that like none of it actually happened right or the reality is like something happened objectively but like this person saying words should not have an effect on me it shouldn't affect my heart right it shouldn't bring me down it shouldn't hurt my life but it does it does because we're identified with external things right um you know, we, we think of doing something and we, we imagine, like I said, that we might be judged um, and out of fear or a sense of self-consciousness, we decide not to act. No one's actually judged us, but no one has actually harmed us. We have created a prison in our own brain and we're both the captive and the captor. Or maybe somebody does judge us. So, so what? What does it actually do to us? 
If we are truly in alignment with our spirit and acting from an internal impetus, impetus, excuse me, then it doesn't matter. The only time that the judgment of others affects us is when we make decisions based off of what others believe. I say that again, it's so important. And I'm thinking of specific people, myself too, but I'm thinking of specific situations that probably will go unnamed. But the only time that the judgment of others affects us is when we're making decisions based off of what other people believe. So how can I put this? <clears throat> Let's say I can think of some times when I was like a teenager, young adult, when I did things and, um, you know, my parents or my friends, my family, people would disagree. And so I would react negatively to them and I would isolate myself. So I'm going to, I'm going to back away and I'm just going to, to take a step back. I'm going to go my own way. I want to be around people that support me whatever. Right. And I'm like, they're hurting me. They're affecting me in a negative way. But the reality is that like the only reason that that judgment was hurting me is because the, the decisions that I was making to do that they disagreed with were not coming from me. It wasn't coming from a place of like, God spoke to me. I had an epiphany, you know, like suddenly something happened and I, I, I understand my purpose. This is it. I didn't go take ayahuasca and suddenly realize like, oh, I know what my life's path is now. It wasn't anything like that. It was like, I had this idea and I thought it was my own. I thought it was mine, but in reality, it influenced by other people. It was influenced by media, by movies, by uh, TV, by friends, by whoever, just all this kind of stuff. So it's like on a deep unconscious level, I feel insecure about this decision because I know it's not coming from me. Consciously, though, I'm not aware of that. That's all unconscious. I think that this is my decision. I think that I'm doing this and that I'm acting because of X, Y, Z when it, in fact it's ABC. And so because of that, like I get super uncomfortable when anybody questions it because I'm not solid. I'm not firm in that because it's not coming from something real. It will never be real, right? Because it's coming from outside of me, you know? And I think a lot of times people make emotional decisions and then they're they're freaked out by the um, by people disagreeing with them. Why? Because the emotions are lies. They're not real. And when you know and like you know this, like you unconsciously understand that your emotions are transient. There's a there's a bit of a disconnect between your brain and your body, between your unconscious and your conscious. They're they're in communication, but they kind of know that like the unconscious kind of knows that the body is. is you know, is not the brain and the, the body kind of like doesn't know what's going on but it's like it's trying to do the best it can right we're not as put together as we think we are we're not as integrated as we think we are our unconscious in and of itself is acting in different directions all the time and wants different things one part of me wants to be in a loving intimate committed relationship and to start a family another part of me wants to sleep around and to have you know access to all the women that i could possibly imagine it's like those things are not in harmony but I do want both of them, but they don't go together, right? So you have to make decisions like what is more important? You have to have a hierarchy of values and you have to act in accordance with that hierarchy. You have to sacrifice the lower stuff sometimes in order to serve the higher. So if I say which one of these is more meaningful, which one of these is more fulfilling to me, okay, cool, the, the, the first one is probably a better option. Um, and maybe you have to go the lower one for a while to, to prove that to yourself, who knows? But you decide, okay, I have to sacrifice this, right? Well, that's part of you that is telling you, but this is right. And you have to, like, part of maturity, and this is Aristotle. Aristotle says that, you know, the mark of maturity is being able to act with logic, even when emotion and, and, and uh, you, you know, your intuition, quote unquote, 
It's pulling you in the opposite direction. It's to say, like, I know that this is the right chance, the right thing to do. This this is the best decision, but it doesn't feel like it. Right? Like it doesn't, it's I'm I feel like I really want to do this other thing. I know that I should come clean about this mistake that I made at work. I like I know I should. I really don't want to. It's like the maturity is stepping up to the plate and saying, I screwed up. Hey, I made this mistake, right? Um, the, the maturity is saying, like, I know that like because it's good if I don't do this, if I lie and like it's gonna get away from me, right? Six months down the line, like there's something that's gonna happen, like there's something that's gonna come up, like I'm going to get caught. The right thing to do is to, is to come forward. And I'm not saying that you can only you should only come forward if you're gonna get caught anyway. That's not the point. Um, <clears throat> I'm not going down that rabbit hole. But I hope you see what I'm saying there. I need coffee, not water. Why did I not prepare? Um, probably because it's too hot out. Anyway, but if you're wondering whether or not you're truly acting from the heart, ask yourself honestly. Ask yourself whether you feel a a pressure of, of judgment coming upon you. If you do, then you are identifying with the outside. You're seeking external validation and you're being influenced by the world. If you're truly acting from a deep internal place, you're gonna feel that pressure dissipate. Um, to quote again from the book, in self-referral, you experience your true being, uh, which is unfearful of any challenge and has respect for all people and feels beneath no one. When we start getting attached to pride, ego, to identity, like like our external identity, basically, because you got your soul, you got your spirit, you have the internal, the, the the stillness, the awareness that is behind your brain, that is behind your body, that is behind your personality, like that awareness, because your personality shifts, right? I'm not the same person I was a year ago, six months ago, let alone 10, 15 years ago, like there's certain things that are similar, but I have changed a lot. But inside of that is the soul, which is according to this book, and I completely agree with, is infinite potential. It's pure potential. It could be anything, right? It's it's infinite. This isn't to say that you're not going to ever feel self-conscious, but if you feel the need to adjust your behavior to conform or the need also to isolate yourself within an echo chamber, people that agree with you, just in order to preserve your sense of direction, those are signs that you might need to do a little bit more soul searching. And I see, I've done this. I see people do it all the time. You don't support me. You don't agree with me. You don't validate me. Cut you out of my life. I'm going to go over here. I'm going to be around people that affirm my decisions. And um, that kind of says... Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the... Must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. If you're not secure in that, oh, but I, I like this, this feels right to me, like, feels right doesn't mean anything one of the things one of my mentor told me i shouldn't call him a mentor anymore somebody that was a mentor to me at one point he gave me some advice that got me in a lot of trouble and it's like it sounds good and i think that there is value to it and i do say it sometimes but i i kind of the meaning of it has changed but it's just follow your heart 
It's like, well, it, the heart's important, but the heart is corruptible. The heart is swayed by emotion, and emotion is transient. Emotion is um, deceptive. And so to say, well, just do what feels right, it's a bad, that's a bad path to go down. It really is, because what feels right for me right now is to go lay down and not do this show. I really, like, I, I laid down for a minute. I was like, I just, like, sit here and, like, take a nap, right? What if I go eat another muffin? What if I go, I don't know, like, what if I go drink something and get intoxicated and blah, 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 blah. There's an, I could go on. There's an infinite number of things that I wanted to do. I love doing the show, but, like, I didn't, I, I want to do other stuff. I want to distract myself with meaningless pleasure because that's how we're freaking wired. So to say this feels right doesn't mean anything. A good example of that is relationships that I've been in. This feels so right. I'm in love with her, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, well, mm, that's blinding you to very obvious red flags. And um, if you've been listening to me for a while, you probably know how badly some of my past relationships have worked out. Why I don't give relationship advice very often? I suck at that. It's one thing I'm just like, I'll sometimes talk about, here's some mistakes that I made, but I, I typically refrain from giving like advice because that's something I really struggle with and part of that is because if I'm being honest a lot of times it's because I've acted on what feels right over what was actually right you know and um you know there's people that are that would have been decent partners but it just didn't feel like oh I'm falling in love with this person right whereas the people that are kind of crazy and dynamic and like out there a little bit that instill some kind of emotion that ignites some sort of like um, feeling like those tend to be the, the people that like objectively are very bad decisions and I'm hoping that I'm not the only one who's experienced that otherwise I'm gonna look silly but again gotta release the judgment right like I can't not say it because I'm worried about being judged when it doesn't affect me like your judgment does not hurt me even if everybody if I lost all my followers even if I lost all what are we at 33,000 something even if I lost everybody lost all of my tens of thousands of monthly views what does that do a couple bucks a month less i don't know at least i've said what i needed to say at least i've been authentic i can sleep with that i can leverage that because now moving forward if i'm like i'm not as afraid to do things anymore because i have a history of doing the right thing of of, of speaking up of, of doing the things that i didn't want to do and so I trust myself more because I know that, yeah, that's a challenge, but I've been through challenges before. Like I've, I've done this. Like I've been consistent. I've had integrity. I've had a strong character going through this. Um, I think we talked about that over the winter. I got into some weird situations with a very unethical work situation. And I ended up getting myself fired on purpose. And that was like, it was scary. Like it was really difficult to speak up and to, to do that. But at the same time, I didn't hesitate because I was like, it doesn't matter. Like ethics are more important than, than, than anything in this job. My, my sense of right and wrong, doing what is right, treating customers right, treating my coworkers right, doing what is right by them. Like it's not rocket science. It's really not. Like you kind of know what's right and what's wrong. When you fail to act um, with integrity with those things, what you're doing is you're, you create this kind of mental hell for yourself, right? You create more separation between the spirit of you, your awareness, your potential, and who you perceive yourself as, right? You start to restrict yourself. Um, and one thing that I do want to add on to this as well is something that I've mentioned several times recently. People often confuse their emotions with 
their intuition. They feel like something is right, and they assume that this must be their soul speaking. And I can speak from experience, however, when I say that sometimes, a lot of times, these impulses are nothing more than unconscious inclinations attempting to direct you in one, in one way or another. The unconscious fear of embarrassment. You know, it pulls you away from, from pursuing a bold adventure. The desire for sex, the fear of loneliness, tricks you into believing that you're in love with somebody, right? Um, somebody who anyone who wasn't clouded by those emotions can clearly see is bad for you. The need to fit in and to find community, it drives you to accept ridiculous beliefs and you become vulnerable to social programming. The desire to establish yourself as a unique individual separate, um, you know, it separates you from the, the people like that, that raised you from your parents, from your birthplace, from your old friends. And you, you feel a draw towards this opposite. You're like, I'm going my own way. And it's like, no, you're just reacting against what your parents believe. It's like you're just as much um, a victim of programming as anybody else. It's just that instead of going with the flow, you're going opposite of the flow. That in and of itself is not uniqueness. <clears throat> It's not even really, I guess it is rebellion, but it's not like, it's, it's not a, a meaningful pursuit. And I don't want to mistakenly tell you that discipline and hard work are the only ways to grow as a spiritual being. It's not true. But they do have a place. The world today has become uh, ridiculous. It's become stupid. There's no common sense in the world. We've gone so far off the rails. And, and people just saying that you should just be. And like, you know, I need to provide some kind of counterbalance, right? The rejection of structure and work in favor of acceptance and fluidity has become incredibly toxic and it needs to be remedied. Stop believing everything you think. Stop believing everything that you feel. Your brain and your body will lie to you. They will lie to you. They will trick you. The solution is to master them, to develop the discipline needed to overcome your desires. You're a slave to whatever controls you. So if you act upon fear, you act upon pride, greed, lust, loneliness, anger, fear, whatever else, then you're not truly free to express your true inner nature, which is one of uh, infinite potential, infinite potentiality. You're being bound by this stuff, by this need to be a certain way, by this need to act a certain way, by the pools of uh, society, of culture, of programming of biology of anything right another quote here if you want to enjoy the benefits of the field of pure potentiality if you want to make full use of the creativity which is inherent in pure consciousness then you have to you ha then to, you have to have access to it one way to access the field is through the daily practice of silence meditation and non-judgment That's going to become a habit. I need to stop doing it. Um, okay. If you don't take the time to practice being still and letting go of all the thoughts, all the feelings and the desires that are constantly assaulting your awareness, you're not going to be able to access these higher states and moments of turmoil. If you can't do it sitting in a quiet room, how do you expect to do it when the situation is dynamic and overwhelming? And one reason why this is so important is that we almost always get our thoughts confused with us, capital, capital U, us, right? our true self. We get our emotions confused with self, capital S, self. We have to practice laying those things to rest long enough to start having those moments of, of, 
epiphany where we start to understand that, oh, that's just a voice in my head. That's just a program. That's a thought. It came from somewhere. I'm not really that. Somebody influenced me. Something influenced me. I might not understand it, but I can understand that it's not me. If we don't do this, then we, we remain trapped by things because they're, they're invisible chains that hold us down. They're, they're psychological currents that toss us about every which way because we don't even realize that they're there. Um, underneath all of that stuff, however, lies an awareness of infinite creative potential. And all we have to do is learn to shift our identity from thoughts, emotions, and our relationship to the external and towards our true inner nature. This is a place of stillness. It's a place of peace. It's a place of self-assuredness. It's a calm that doesn't need anything outside of itself. And it's free to creatively solve any problem that presents itself to us with grace and confidence. Got a quote for you. Judgment is the constant evaluation of things as right or wrong, good or bad. When you are constantly evaluating, classifying, labeling, analyzing, create a lot of turbulence in your internal dialogue. This turbulence constricts the flow of energy between you and the field of pure potentiality. By the way, as a side note, um, my other podcast, I go into this a little bit, um, talking about the idea of words and like the power of words. And I talk about how um, in the original um, Hebrew language, the, the, the word spirit, the word air were the same, or the breath were the same. And so when you talk about like the serpent, for example, like constricting you, right? Or you, you talk about um, God breathing life into humans. It's like, that is a very potent symbolism, right? It's like that, that, that means something. There's a circulation of spirit and breath isn't just breath. It's something that is, that is like awareness is, itself in a sense, or symbolic of awareness itself. And so in a sense, like when you speak, you're projecting that awareness and your tongue is that which shapes it into something tangible, into something um, with structure, into something that, that is meaningful. So you're not just projecting your spirit out, you're transforming it into something um, that, that manifests your will, essentially. And there's a lot of interesting symbolism there. If you guys want, you should check that out. Um, I think that was the last episode I did. It was Words of Spirit. Um, but anyway... Just, that just occurred to me in sense like especially like when you look at like what is the the symbolism of like the serpent for example like that which crushes you that which you know constricts the the, the flow of spirit that can be anything that um that stifles your life force it can be social media it can be pornography it can be toxic friendships and relationships it can be dead-end uh, relationships it can be um, a, a dead-end job that you just hate it can be just you giving in to your desires gluttony um fear um, laziness, whatever. <clears throat> but I've come to believe, side note over, I've come to believe that there is, there's no such thing as an introvert, right? There's only extroverts and extroverts with anxiety. And I've realized this because um, as I've made a lot of progress in overcoming anxiety, I've noticed that the way that I interact with people in the way that I, how do I say this? The way that I perceive people and social interactions is it's changed in a very profound way and when you remove the feeling of anxiety and you realize like what was I anxious about like this like there's nothing wrong here part of it I believe is because we we act in a performance-based way which I'm about to talk about in a second um, but part of it too is 
it's because it when when that leaves when that is gone you start to you start to be able you you break down walls and you're able to actually really connect with people on a soul level on a really profound way um so there's extroverts and there's extroverts with anxiety again i'm not a scientist i'm not a doctor i don't have any degrees this i'm not a therapist or anything i'm not a researcher i mean i guess i could say i'm an independent researcher but all that means is that i like to read and i like to look into stuff um let's call me a philosopher i'll, I'll call myself a philosopher is that good ladies is that something that's attractive if i if like if somebody's like hey this is jack he's a philosopher it's like ooh, that's interesting or are you going to be like oh i don't know that's weird tell me because like i don't Want to know like oh that might be looking for external validation but it is what it is i'm not perfect um but anyway the reason that i have come to believe this again my own personal journey but every introvert that i have ever known um and this is based off of my observation everyone they still crave human connection they and they typically once you get them going once they are comfortable they will not shut up oh my goodness you ever been around someone's like, I'm shy, I'm an introvert, I don't like people, I don't like meeting people. And then like you get to know them and they just like talk. go on and on and on. It's like they've been holding it in for months, like you're the first person that they've talked to and it just all comes out. And these people like they they, they still want the connection, they still want to, to be with others. It's just that you hear them talk about, they describe how they feel about social settings. It's like, I'm anxious, that makes me nervous, it makes me, it, it freaks me out, I don't like it. Oh, you have anxiety, you have fear, right? The idea, and I disagree with this, I know this is popular science right now, it's like a big thing, it's like a big um, new agey, like psychology thing. Um, take it with the grain of salt, but again, I completely disagree with it. The idea that extroverts get energy from socializing and introverts lose energy from socializing, all that's doing is pointing to that, to the judgments that those individuals make um and and pass the, the the judgments of those people pass upon their socializing so if you if you have anxiety about your social skills you don't trust yourself to to interact with people in, in a meaningful way you don't expect yourself to do it um well for lack of a better way of saying it if you approach the interaction with a performance-based mindset that i have to perform i have to be i have to be something i have to do something or this person won't like me they will reject me and that will hurt you're going to feel as though everything you do matters and you're being judged. That's exhausting, right? Um, that is exhausting. You're going to be constantly afraid that you're going to mess up and that you're going to say something stupid, that you're going to embarrass yourself. You're going to feel the need to perform and to do well in the situation, which is going to lead to you having anxiety. When your entire social interaction is characterized by a constant anxiety, of course you're going to feel drained. Of course you're going to feel drained. You got a judgment constantly pulling away at your energy making you feel tired and worn out maybe you get comfortable for a while and you release some of those inhibitions but eventually you become self-conscious again and you start to feel tired and worn out anyway and then you associate people with that and it's really just your own fear right and this applies to the rest of life as well if you approach everything with judgment relationships are a great example of this there's so much anxiety in relationships with people like they don't express their needs. They don't express what they what they what they desire from their partner, and they they feel as though they have to perform in order for that person to love them. Right? They feel this is why it's really really dangerous to go out there and um, to associate your identity with something external. Like for I'm I'm going to give some examples here. So for for example, if you're a man and you say, well, 
I'm attractive because I have money, because I'm in really good shape, because I'm tall, um, because I'm very good looking, because I have, you know, certain masculine qualities. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it helps, like it feels good, but at the same time, you feel, you feel bad about yourself whenever you encounter somebody who has more, right? And also you're gonna have self-doubt. So like, doesn't matter like how good you feel about yourself right now, you're going to have self-esteem issues because you're going to always worry, well, what if she finds somebody who looks better than me, who has more money than me? And by the way, money is one of those things. You got to be careful with that. Like, It's important as a man to have a good sense of like financial stability to be able to provide. But if you're like, I make more money than you, therefore I'm a more attractive partner. And that's like what you're using to play off of. Like, That's never ending. Um, that is a never ending merry-go-round that you cannot get off because everybody, somebody's always got more money than you, right? And the more money they have, the more entitled they feel to try to hit on your your girlfriend or your wife or whatever. So you're constantly going to be in a state of anxiety. You're going to constantly feel like you have to do things for them, right? Now, maybe as a girl, you feel like, well, your identity is wrapped up in how physically attractive you are. It's like, I'm very fit. You know, my butt looks nice. I got, you know, the thick lips. My hair is really healthy. And I said that intentionally because I hate it when girls wear, like, fake hair and diet and stuff because it's like it makes your hair unhealthy. Like, just be healthy. Like, you look attractive. Like, all of the things that you do, like, all of the things that we are physically attracted to one another in are really just signs of health, right? So if you're just very healthy, like, you're probably going to be attractive. You know, you got healthy skin, healthy, healthy uh, teeth, healthy hair, healthy body in general. Like those are things that are attractive, but if you associate your identity and your self-worth with those things, then every time you see somebody who you perceive or your husband or boyfriend perceives as being more attractive than you, every time you come in contact with that person, you're going to feel bad, right? And it, it stops you if, you if you associate these external things, the money, the looks, the whatever it is, you know, um, the car, the makeup, the whatever. If you associate your self-worth with those things, <clears throat> it stops you from becoming intimate with one another. It stops, those are walls of separation that prevent you from getting close and making a spiritual connection that's actually gonna hold together, um, you know, and weather the storms of life. That's something that's gonna last, something that's gonna be, you know, profound and meaningful. And again, I'm not big on giving relationship advice, but I can speak from experience that when you tie your identity up in stuff and things, there's no rest, there's no peace. I've seen it happen to myself, I've seen it happen to people I was with, I've seen it happen to my friends, I've seen it happen with people that I was close with in all sorts of different contexts. It's a common problem. Nobody's perfect. We're all going to do it to some extent, right? But the more we minimalize these things, the more that we start to pull back and understand that our worth comes from somewhere within us, comes from something really deep. And it's not the stuff. It's not the things. It's not our identity as someone of a certain social class, someone of a certain level of attractiveness, somebody of a certain, you know, it's, it's not that you're a certain gender, it's not that you're a certain age, it's not that you're a certain um, disposition, I don't even know, like my personality, whatever, we can get back to the personality versus character if you guys want at some point, but it's not those things, like that's not you, like those are ways that you express yourself in the world, but who you really are underneath this is pure potential, so it applies to all of life. If you approach everything with judgment of this is good, this is bad, then you begin to impose limitations on yourself. You begin to restrict the potential. You create separation between yourself and your true nature and the way that you express yourself to the world. You become identified with your perception of things as you believe them to be. 
and you cut off the flow of energy, you restrict that life force that would otherwise fill you with its infinite creative power. Um, learning instead to return to that place of stillness that exists inside of you, the pure potential that is nothing but could be anything. It gives you access to a never-ending source of transformative energy that can joyfully overcome any obstacle without friction. And there's more of, of that to come soon. I think it's the path of persistence. I don't remember the name of the chapter off the top of my head, but I know that that is one chapter in there that is about like like grace and you know just flowing from one thing to the next. That's a cool chapter. Um, you know, but judgment or our perceptions, our beliefs, they cut us off from that state. The learning to release these things allows us to flow through life and to be empowered by the source of life permeates all of the created universe. So that is the end of my review of chapter one. Um, we'll do chapter two next week. We're going to do all seven. This is a fantastic book, like I said. Um, and again, you know, I think that you guys should read the book. Very little of what I actually said was directly from the book. This is all my things that were sparked by my reading of it. So if you guys enjoyed this, if you had any interest in it, go check out the book, but also make sure that you like and subscribe to this show. Make sure you share it with your friends. Give me a good rating too. I've got a good rating, but I want like more of a good rating. Um, I love you guys. So you, you're awesome. You're so supportive. And I really appreciate that. Thank you guys for listening. Reach out to me if you need anything. Good luck.